Oh yeah, it's date night with Jake and Paige, y'all, where you meet some of Charlotte's finest couples. So pull up your seat, grab a glass of wine. It's time to talk about things like laundry and taxes and the dentist and also making sweet cupcakes for your son's elementary class, which is kind of annoying because you don't really care about those other kids. So why are you doing it? We're going to find out with date night. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Date Night with Jake and Paige, but not a date night Mm-mm. in the traditional sense. This is when we bring on, you know, you want to say expert. They're ex- uh, and she would hate it if I said thought leader or influencer. Mm. I would hate it or our guest would hate it. Our guest would hate it. Oh, I don't know. Well, I, what I want to say is experts on experts because that's what I want to say because that's the other podcast I listen to. Right. Other than ours. Go ahead and say it. The Dax Shepard podcast. She loves it. It's not called the Dax Shepard podcast. I'm sorry. I just know it as the Dax Shepard show because you love you some Dax Shepard. Anyway, Lori Rudiman, author of Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career, joined us on the pod. So she came onto our radar when we were in Raleigh years ago, gosh, yeah. like a decade ago. Probably about when we started writing our own book, we, she finished out a thing that we were emceeing and blew our socks off in terms of how funny she was and how like the useful information she she was a perfect combination of it felt like stand up comedy that you learned from, didn't you think? Yes, my socks were literally blown off. We emceed a speaking event. <laughs> she was the keynote essentially for the event, and I think it was like wow, she's a career HR person. I have. A career HR person, and I'll say for a chemical and a drug company, mm-hmm. big companies you've heard of. And in my mind, I have a vision. I know. She's not that person. She knew she wasn't that person. She got feedback that she wasn't that person, but still tried to be that person, and she broke. Well, so what she does, because she's not a traditional HR person, and this isn't to say that, to, basically what she's saying is HR people are human beings also. Right. So like always remember that, that they, it is a human being. It's not just a role that's like sitting in this office. So what she does in the book and really kind of in life is is opens the curtain and lets you see like what the inner workings of what really goes on in a company, which you learn by learning kind of how the HR department works. But she also kind of exposes parts of herself in that. I bookmarked this one part. I have my book literally, hold on, one, bookmark two, three, this one part? four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 little post-it things that I bookmarked of places to talk to her about or things that I thought were just good. But one of them that I thought would be good to um, share here, she says in, this is page 84, she says, I am petty, and one of my favorite things to do is blame people for problems I can't easily solve. And then she goes on and talks about how, like, when she was in a position, she would blame the CEO, and she looked around, and she was like, they're not doing it right. They're not doing it. I don't like this. I don't like that. But I loved that that was how she put it, because it was like, first of all, everybody can relate to that. I love the honesty that she looked at herself first and was like, I suck in a lot of ways. And... She just, she, like, she talks about how she went to Mexico for, like, a discount lap band surgery, and that turned the corner for her in terms of getting her whole life together, and she took the leap to leave her job and kind of do her own thing, but she's not one of those, just follow your dreams and it'll happen. Like, she's a very practical in terms of advice for people, and I think it's really timely for people now, as so many people are even if they're not thinking of leaving or switching their jobs, whether they wanted to or not because of the pandemic, you know, whether things change for them, just they're at a different space in terms of having to rethink the job they have because it changed so significantly in the past year. Yeah, this is definitely not a burn it down and like change your life, do some type of book, type yeah. of advice. This is 
be smart, you know, leverage your strengths, have some self-awareness, but also understand, and we ask this question in this environment, to your point, there are going to be a lot of other people looking. So you better get your mind right if you're going to go way out on a limb, bet on yourself maybe a little too much, maybe mm-hmm. again, lacking a little self-awareness on how much you should bet, uh-huh. because there are people lining up to take your job. And it was interesting for me to listen to this because, you know, just like everybody else, like in their career, it's like, I've really loved my job. I've been frustrated with my job and and I'm not talking the job I'm currently in. I'm talking about over the course of my life. Um, But now I'm in a leadership position. And so I've got a team and I know that there are probably members of my team that wish their circumstances were different, whether that's, they want a different job or Mm -hmm. whatever. I'm of course I, I get that, but I also am biased. I think that we have a pretty fun deal uh, not only at our company but on our team yeah and I would totally agree from what I see of you but you're also in the position too of yeah for the first that's what I kept thinking when I was reading this is well wait gosh if I was reading this as the boss of a company or the leader of a team at a company it's a little more disturbing to go wait a second she's telling people to basically mail it in at their jobs so that they can fulfill other parts of their life and she does a good job of of saying like here's how you can make it all work so that you're happy in both places even if you're staying where you are ways to kind of make that work the way you need it to also right it's a good read it is a good read and it was a good chat fun to talk to another author we as you know just released holy crap we're pregnant Mm. available everywhere at (laughs) amazon got thrown way under the bus (laughs) on this episode yes you can find it on amazon but you can also find it uh if you're in charlotte park road books park road books girl tribe uh there's gear that's right gear and books at uh girl tribe in south end so check that out if you get a chance that's about our book you you can also find Lori's book wherever they sell books, but just don't get it on Amazon, whatever you do. Oh, yeah. A lot of shade there. Enjoy. I'm No, I'm super excited. Look, I'm going to hold this up real quick, too, because you can see it even if people listening can't. Oh do you gosh. see all my Post-it zippies? I do. My That's really sweet. I know. Yeah. I have so much marked off in this. So I don't think that – I don't know why you would ever know this about me. I, my, my background in the past, what, 10 to 15 years is as a news anchor, but yeah. I grew up going with my mom to help her work, which was as like a soft skills HR trainer. Oh. And my grandmother, too, and my uncle does it, too. So, like, it's a lot of – I was reading this like, oh, part of this is – like my world, you know, like yeah. kind of getting, dipping back into that stuff and seeing, I mean, you do such a great job of kind of like showing how the sausage is made in so many ways about yourself and the corporate side of things. Yeah, so yeah. I was, I was feeling it. And this is not just for, these are like actual bookmarked pages Aww. that I want to go back and they're highlighted too. Yeah. Well, just That's in case really I sweet. start, uh, speaking of editing, in case I start <laughs> at the three minute mark, why don't you say what the name of the thing that you earmarked is called? I'm holding it up for Lori to see because she's the uh, only one. She doesn't know the name of her own book. It's no, betting on you, <laughs> how to put yourself first and finally take control of your career. And it's awesome. And it's, I thought you were going in one direction. I thought the whole thing was going to be like, quit your job, burn the bridges, go do your own thing. And then all of a sudden you kind of pivot partway through, right? And you're like, hold on, <laughs> see if this is right for you. Where did this come from from you? How did you decide to write it? Well, for years, I've been doing this thing in human resources where I had one foot in and one foot out. And I finally made the switch to be a full-on consultant in around 2008. And I realized that pivot was terrible. I had no entrepreneurial background. I didn't know I had to file business taxes. Like I just learned all of this oh, stuff. Oh, that's the most rude awakening, right? When you have to pay those? Oh, for sure. Yes. And I'm like, wait, where does where does paper come for my printer? 
oh, I have to go to Staples on my own. Okay. You know, so I learned all of these lessons. And as I built my business as a writer and a speaker and an entrepreneur, there are things I love about it, but I really felt like I could tell two stories. One, how I got to the place where I kind of hate work. And number two, how other people can navigate that world and either stay in a full-time job or start their own thing, but do it with integrity. So that's why I wrote the book, to really be helpful, to be of service, and honestly, just to have a little bit of fun with my life. So things didn't happen, right? Like your career didn't start right when you wrote the book. Like we know, we got to give a little backstory. We, we've known you, not since 08, but like, what was it, 2010, Oh my God, I said to Jake the other day, I go, wait, how do we know Lori in the first place? I go, she's kind of just always been on our radar. And like, I know we kind of shared the Raleigh thing. And he was like, remember, we emceed Ignite Raleigh, whatever year. He goes, and she was the keynote speaker. And we, you came on and literally, by the, you know how it is, after you've emceed something, we were so tired and we were like kind of ready. And you came on and we were like, oh my God, this is girl's awesome. She, we were all cracking up. You, you totally blew us away. Yeah, so people know about the book. Like, you're all fancy now. You have a book, but like... Like, we know 2011, Yeah, we know Lori. old school, Lori. We know take the stage and melt it down. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I, too, have been in awe of you for over a decade. And I also have your book, oh, which wow. is really okay. super awesome. Uh, like, I'm so pleased. I don't have any children, and I kind of feel okay about that now mm-hmm. that I've skimmed the book. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I had no idea. All right. Um, so, yeah, we've known one another forever. And it was in that time period that I was coming off of my corporate career and really trying to figure out who I was and what I had to offer the world as a broken HR lady. And it turns out I could just speak honestly about work and that really resonated. It was during that time when we were recovering from the great recession and everybody was like, oh, work is terrible, but I'm scared to leave. I don't know what to do. And I tried to use social media, which I was a little bit early to, you know, in Mm -hmm. 2006 and seven, use social media to get this idea out that your work is not your worth, mm-hmm. that you deserve love and goodness and attention and healthcare and a living wage, no matter who you are, just by virtue of being born. And that these systems that we have in place are not really built for you. They're built for other wealthier people. Mm. So that was my core message. And it's really stuck with me for over a decade now because people and companies are terrible. You know, I've got work <laughs> to do for years. Oh my God. I love you. One of the things that I literally bookmarked and emailed myself to remember to ask you about, it says was, is on page 84 and it says your job exists to make other people money. And I was like, that is such a good point. Like the more realistic you are about everything that goes along, right. With the part, with why you do your job, why your job exists, who it is that you're asking for stuff at your job for. I had this issue a couple years ago, so I never, here I'll show, hold them up so you can see. I never wear shoes. Never, ever, ever on set at home, at my desk, walking around, you know, whatever. Mm. So it was funny, back when people could come to the studio, anytime we had an in-studio guest for an interview, they would be like, oh my God, I love that you don't even have shoes on. We watch at home and we see you're all made up. And then from the waist down, you know, you're wearing like stretch pants and flip-flops, if that. And I was like, oh yeah, I never have shoes. Well, sometimes we used to have these camera shots that would get a full couch shot and and my shoe my shoes would show or my feet would show up if they didn't give me warning the camera guy would be like oh tuck your feet under (laughs) and it showed up on tv one time we had a gm who called me or i'm sorry we had a news director who called me into her office and i basically got in trouble she's like you gotta wear shoes the gm doesn't like they're not happy whatever and i go well basically we got into like a 10 minute argument about whether or not i had to wear shoes and i realized halfway through this this is not her call she doesn't care if i wear shoes or not She's trying to please her boss who came to her and said, how are you going to let your anchor show up on TV? And when I made that connection, I go, 
do you mind if I go to him and talk? And she goes, please, because it's his <laughs> issue. I don't care if you have shoes or not. And I was like, oh, my God, this is such a good lesson in so many parts of parts of jobs, what you're asking for a raise, if you want a different office, right? Like, you have to figure out who's the decision maker in the first place, because otherwise, she actually taught me, too. She's like, always remember your boss has a boss. Oh, what a great lesson. Isn't that a good and lesson? And you're right. There are all these different systems in place. And the sooner you get to the source of power, to the kernel of truth, to what's really going on, the better off you're going to be. And oftentimes that person in a position of power just wants you to shut up, do a great job. They don't, wanna, they don't care how many hours a day it takes. They don't care about the drama. As long as you perform and you show up with individual accountability, with a sense of self-leadership, with a work ethic, with confidence, you can do your job and go home. Mm -hmm. You have written your own contract. You have tons of freedom. It's only when you get caught up in a political game that you don't really even know anything about that you're going to screw it up and have an unhappy career. So you're right. My book really tries to piece that out and tell people that if you show up and you perform and you believe in yourself and have a little bit of confidence, you can write your own ticket and you can even be a slacker. <laughs> that is, uh, I was I was gearing up to say, that's so true. I was like, that's so, what? So, yes. The uh, always so, gets you at the end. What yeah. I uh, what I love is like in, in today's social media. So you're like an OG to social. Today's social, you what's crazy can actually never have done the thing, and you can be an influencer on the thing. Um, that's not you, obviously. So you, you mentioned <laughs> no, it is. I'm an absolute influencer in the world of art, right? In the world of art. Oh, there you oh, go. I'm sorry. Okay, to okay. Be yeah, fair, yeah. Have, come on now. I mean, I know pod. the name of two stars and some yeah. paintings, so I'm an that's influencer. That's fair. That's on the next pot. Uh, but you mentioned you left a fancy corporate job. So, like, you, you can obviously walk the talk. So, you, you talk about these corporate roles, and and is that what influenced you to sort of make these left and right turns and zagging when people were zigging? Well, you're right. I did have some fancy corporate names oh, yeah. on I my know. resume when that was a thing, you know, when resumes were out there. Sure. So on that, you know, sheet of paper, that eight by 11, I had a couple of companies you may know, like Monsanto, which used to be an evil agricultural <laughs> business and yep. Pfizer, which people know now for just like that small little thing that they're doing. Yeah. Little the, thing. Yeah. My arm hurt for like the past month because of Pfizer. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I have Pfizer flowing through my veins and I'm Perfect. really grateful for it because I know how hard everybody works there. That's all they do. That's all they talk mm. about. That's all they focus on. And I found myself trying to fit into a system that wasn't really built for me, didn't want me. And it's almost like I had Stockholm syndrome. Tell me if you've had a job like this before, you know, it's a bad fit. You know, nobody likes you and you keep trying harder and mm. harder, harder. You're eager to please everybody. And the harder you try, the more people are like, kid, get out of here. <laughs> That was me at Pfizer. And so I had this corporate history of about 12 years and I just had what is the most cliche, dumb lady breakdown at an airport. I was in the middle of the country and I was working real hard and I had sneezed at one point and threw out my back and mm. I'm overweight, but I'm not like super chubby. I'm just chubby, but none of my clothes are fitting me and I'm always breaking out in a sweat. It's just ugly. It's just ugly. And I'm I don't know for whatever reason eating dinner, but I'm eating a bag of Starburst and drinking a can of Pepsi. How many business people, how many, I bet you have had a dinner like that, right? I mean, it's just a terrible dinner yeah. and I'm flipping through an Us Weekly magazine because God forbid I do anything decent with my brain, right? I'm just going to look at celebrities sure. and read about trash. And I thought, oh my God, enough is enough. And I read this story about 
Courtney Love, who I don't know if you yeah. guys remember Courtney yeah, Love, of course. but at the time, Garbage, she was right? Not- Wasn't the name of that the, her, of her band? Is that right? Whole. Whole. Garbage. 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 I know she was Kurt Cobain's wife. I don't know why. There's something associated with, maybe there's a song. Anywho. Oh my God. I know. But she had lost a bunch of weight and was actually not looking like a drug addled woman at that point, you know, looking great. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how is it that Courtney Love has this amazing life and I'm stuck in Kansas City or Nebraska about to lay people off because that was my job in HR. thought enough is enough. I'm going to channel my inner Courtney love and follow whatever path she's been on to look so fantastic. And it turns out she went and had weight loss surgery, allegedly in Mexico. And I thought, well, I'm not heavy enough to have weight loss surgery in America, but I've been on Weight Watchers, Slim Fast, I've yo-yo dieted, I've intermittent fasted. What if I went to Mexico? What's the difference between me and a celebrity? They've got money. I've got a little bit of money. Celebrities and companies always put themselves first. Always. They always Mm. take risks on themselves. And I thought, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to take a risk on myself too. And in that weird moment at that airport, I decided to go to Mexico and get a lap band. And from there, I went on this journey that I write about in the first chapter of my book, and there was no going back. No going back to corporate America. No going back to playing any games, pretending like I liked people, working hard for other people in a system where I would never be wealthy. Forget Mm. it. I was done. So that's what I found interesting too about your story and in the book, because you start off kind of telling a lot of that right background for you, which for you led, led you to going off on your own. And then you kind of bring it back around by saying, if you're in a job that you, and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. I'm going to kind of like summarize. And then you, you tell me where I'm, where I read it wrong. If you're in a job that you hate, and which makes you kind of feel like you hate your whole life, right? Look at the uh, look at the stuff you can change first. Like, are you eating well? Are you moving your body? Do you surround yourself by people who are support? Are you giving back to other people? You know, health, I feel like, is the first step in that for a lot of people, which it sounds like it was for you too, yeah, in terms yeah. of the things you're consuming and the things that you're doing to be active. And if all of that is in place and you still feel like your soul is being sucked dry at the place you go every day for nine hours or whatever it is, then maybe it is time to, right? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Now, I will say the first chapter is really written out of a position of privilege, right? I mentioned your amazing book. I don't have any children. I had paid off my student loans. I had money in the bank. I had done some of the basic infrastructure work in my life that allowed me the privilege and the position of saying, you know what, drop the mic, I'm out of here. I also negotiated a severance package, which I teach in the book as well. So I had done some work on my finances. I had done some work on my life intermittently between complaining and firing people that put me in a position to be able to walk away. Mm -hmm. Had I followed my own advice. And this is part of the reason why I wrote the book, right? It's like a love letter to my younger self. I would also recognize that I walked away from Pfizer. I walked away from a 401k, people constantly paying my cell phone, paying my internet. I had PTO. I had all of these amazing benefits. I had access to affordable healthcare so that when my husband wasn't working, we didn't have to worry about that. So there were still some really great things, important things that other people may need in this world. And so that's why I wanted to show my story, talk about my absolutely difficult launch into entrepreneurship, but also tell people it's okay to stay. Mm -hmm. You can hate your job and still get other things out of it. And in fact, if you focus on individual accountability, well-being, continuous learning, risk-taking, it may be that you get in a position where the job isn't so bad because you've invested in your underdeveloped personal life. Mm -hmm. 
So, go ahead. Did you have something? I well, feel I, like I keep asking. I don't know <laughs> if anyone has been ever been more excited to, to talk to someone on a podcast ever. I mean, Paige <laughs> has like all these questions. I like. I want to. I be, love you I anyway, but well, I know. I know you have some. Well, because well, because I think right now, especially with the pandemic, so many people have lost yeah. their jobs. Yeah. Or have had the time to sit back and go. Maybe I'm ready for a change or what have you. So Absolutely. there are, I mean, and I don't even know if it was because you published in when? You published in 2020, right? Is that when it came no, out? No, in 2021 in January. Oh, in so 2020. I wrote okay. a little bit during the so pandemic. So you did have some of the, yeah. So you had, you know, that partly in mind, at least for some people, right? And I feel like it's just, it's just a very appropriate topic for some people. So if, if anyone listening is listening who might, you know, be in that position, I wrote down a couple of things that I thought would be really useful as kind of Cliff's notes for you to go over that I think are good um, kind of punchy, you know, spots for people to, to take a look at. One, in terms of looking at first, right, should you leave your job? If, if someone is, a, is in a position to choose, like you said. The pre-mortem, I thought, was mm-hmm. such a good tidbit. And then the 10-10-10 rule. Can you explain those? Sure. The pre-mortem is a simple exercise that I have anybody do when they're worried about taking a risk <laughs> and they think they're going to blow it. And it's developed from like old stoic thinking. And there's a professor at Stanford who took this to corporations. And what you're basically doing is trying to predict failure before it actually happens. So let's say you want to interview for a job, but you have imposter syndrome. You think you're not good enough. You're not smart enough, right? You know, all the things. You can very simply ask yourself, how will this fail? Not how might it fail, not how could it fail, but how will it fail? And then set a timer for like one minute and write down all the realistic, silly, irreverent ways that you're going to fail at this job interview. Maybe you're sweaty. Maybe you don't tell good stories. Maybe you don't make great eye contact. Maybe you really don't have on the surface level the right amount of experience. Just get it all down, but stop after a minute or two. We don't want to spiral here. Now, if you look at this list and fix your shit before you go on that interview, you improve your chance of success by over 30%. So if you know you're sweaty, there are things you can do now interviewing with Zoom, right? Throw I'm on so a fan. Sweaty. I love that you picked sweaty. She's very yeah, sweaty. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, so sweaty. sweaty all the yeah. time. I speak from my own truth here. You know, powder <laughs> your nose. There are a million things you can do to address that. But give yourself a competitive advantage. Why throw that away? Now, a lot of people don't like focusing on the negative. That's why we do postmortems. Mm-hmm. We blame people when things fail mm. and then we file that away. And the next time we do something, we forget all about that postmortem. I'm all about doing this beforehand to give us a realistic opportunity of what we're going to face and also to help us fail in new and more interesting ways. Mm-hmm. So the pre-mortem is a tool that I absolutely love. I'm glad you loved it too, Paige. Uh, are you going to use it now? Oh my God. No, we did this with, we're, we're, this is so stupid. It's not in the context that you meant it to be. I did it for a backyard project we're doing right now. I literally was, re- and I was like, this is applicable to all, to anything, right? Anything. What did you do with the doing, backyard? Just going, how could it go wrong if this happened? How could, like, I was like, if we, if we take this tree, where well, there was a tree that we were, you know, debating right, whether or not to take down. If we do take it down, here's what could happen. If we don't, here's what could happen. Here's the, it okay. could fall on that or it could be in the way of this. I don't, it's a perfect. So we say I'm that uh, Paige tends to circle the airport on decisions. So yeah. will this book help or hurt that? Will this cause more circling? You... I'm asking, but hold on. I'm a page. Oh, I'm oh, oh, or will there be more circling? Well, Don't look at Lori. Don't hey, let Lori bill you out. How quickly did I text you back to take the tree down? Real quick, right? Oh, Lori, I just want to say thank, thank you. Thank you, Lori. Oh, you're welcome. Say... I'm happy to save that marriage of yours. I know it was just hanging by. It, it really, you didn't save the go. tree. It really but is. But you saved our marriage. All right, so here I am sitting, you know, uh, uh, I've got a rundown on the book. I've talked to Paige about it. We're talking about it. Mm-hmm. I lead a team of about 30 people. Lori, you and I have chatted. Uh a few times over the years, you know enough about my career to know kind of ups, downs. I'm in a job I love. 
I think it's a really cool place to work, and I think the employees generally enjoy it. But I'm also so not so naive to think that it's they think it's perfect. Uh, what do you say to people in that situation if they really like their job, or maybe coaching for me to keep an eye out for maybe people that aren't necessarily signaling that they hate it? Yes. Well, Jake, I do know about you uh-huh. and your career, and I'm actually really impressed that you're at a place now where you feel like you belong and you're leading a team of people who are working at that intersection of purpose and meaning. That's a really beautiful thing. Statistics out there say that about half the workforce is unhappy. Mm-hmm. And let's be realistic, on top of that, 17% of the workforce is actively disengaged. Mm. So that's like what, one out of five who would steal something out of the fridge in those old days, right? Yeah. Or take a piece of pizza and not ask. They're just unhappy at work. That's like Mark they're kind on of my being... team. Mark. Right. Mark. Okay, there's no Mark. There is no Mark. There is no Mark. For a second, I was like, oh my God. Oh, no, like I just want everybody to panic I, I would have heard of Mark. Oh my gosh, did he just call out Mark? <laughs> <laughs> you better hope you don't hire a Mark between now uh, and when we Oh gosh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, make sure you look at your headcount there. Well, so, I mean, people are truly unhappy, right? Those are the numbers. And even if you don't see it as a leader, it's good that you recognize that. I think you can see the signs of disengagement in people who are late. They show up six to eight minutes late for a Zoom meeting. They're just kind of checked out, right? They're also looking at their phones. There are ways to sense this. And one of the things that happens at work is that we're always looking for other people to solve our problems. And leaders are exhausted by that. So what I'm hoping leaders can do is take my book and tell these people who are otherwise high performers or who have high potential, there's another way to think about this. I want you to invest in your personal life. I want you to have hobbies. I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to have work-life balance. Look, there's a thought leader out there I agree with. Read this book. Mm. But beyond that, you can do that by leading by example, by not sending those late night emails, by taking time off and really meaning it, by actually being the change that you want to see in the workforce. But As a leader, it's hard because you have two jobs. You have the job that you've been paid to do, and then you have all these people who need you to solve problems. So you've got like two, you probably have 20 jobs, right? You're a parent, you've got all their stuff going on. But if you want people to behave a certain way, they need to see it in you before they can see it in themselves. Mm, I just had a mild panic attack. So I, the only time I could send emails is at night at like literally 11, 12 p.m. And I tell people, I tell them, don't reply, don't answer, don't read, turn it. it off. And I, my directs do that. Like there are some directs that keep it on because they're just psychos like I am. And yeah, then there are yeah. some that do turn it off, which is totally fine. Um, but you're also not a – I will say too, and I don't know what you think about this, Lori. Like, this I is about that, me. This is about me. It's not about Lori and her book. So no, no, no. Like, go ahead. Well, listen, it, it all yeah. ties – if people – people, it all – you'll get one yes. thing from the other. Ah. Because people who are like you, like you not only – and I've said this before too about my job, anybody's job. Like when you're home – well, everybody's home now, but when you're during work hours, outside of work hours, maybe it's better to say, but when you are during one side of your life at 11 at night, you're still head the marketing department at Movement Mortgage. When you're at a football game, you're, I mean, sorry, you're still yeah. a, a dad of three and vice versa. In other words, you also don't freak out if somebody has a question for you while you're throwing the football with the kids. Like it's, no. you like you do a good balance of that. And I think more and more people can, but it is tricky, Lori. Like some people 
can, and I actually, I think I'm more like this. I'm more black and white. Like I'm like, I don't want to have to think about that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm driving my kids to whatever. Like I used to take so many calls planning these things that we used to do these pep rallies and I would be like I would have I would always answer the call and go I have three noisy kids at five and under under the car right now do you mind talking with that in the background or do you want me to call you tomorrow from work and you know what I mean people can go so it's it's like part of it I think also is kind of feeling people out right and seeing what what they're comfortable with like some people will be like I do not want you to ever talk to me on vacation or send an email at nine o'clock do a timer where it won't send until 9 30 tomorrow morning or you know what have you like I feel like for leaders at least probably that's part of it too is learning your people and what their preferences are so that you can play accordingly to their rules yeah you know I have two thoughts number one there's a solution out there in terms of technology to make sure that if you don't want to send if you want to write the email at 11 o'clock at night but you don't want to send it until 7 30 or 8 the next morning you could use boomerang gmail offers that right yeah. mm-hmm. there are a lot of tools out there to help you really make sure that business emails go out during business hours but the second thought i have and i write about this in the book is that you can actually set rules of the road among your team you can have this discussion like this is my preferred work style this is what time i work this is how i will signal if it's a true emergency drill down to what an exact emergency would be and the way you get their page is through your lovely example by communication by being honest by really talking about what's going on in your life you know i run this little business of my own i have one woman who works with me and i may text her over the weekend but it's about fun stuff mm-hmm. because we've talked about that and right. work happens between business hours. That's the agreement that we have. Yeah. But you could do this with a team of 20, a team of 35. You can break it up and you can regularly revisit this because people's lives are changing in the pandemic. Yeah. So a good check-in, defining the rules of the road. God, I would have loved that when I worked at Pfizer instead of people pinging me at all times of the oh, day so with fake emergencies. So much Stop pinging me. Well, how do you feel about the terms work-life balance does not... It doesn't exist, so calm down. I know. Okay. Right. Work-life integration, work-life balance. Do you believe in any of that, any semblance of either of those? Well, um, in my dream world, I believe that work is work and life is life. And work is the thing you do in order to have a really great life. So I don't like it when the two necessarily blend, but I'm not But stupid, don't you think right? you do that? I feel like you do that. I feel like you do. And Maybe it's just a it. mindset. That, like, I think you're a perfect example of, like, you have made your life's work a job that you love. Do you I, not think, I like think that? there are aspects of things that I do that I really love that are public facing. And then there's how the sausage is made. Like mm. I'm not bragging out on social media about how I'm ghostwriting articles for technology companies, right? But I do that for money to bring in extra revenue into my business. I advise marketing departments on how to reach the human resources buyer. I'm I'm super proud of that work, like professionally, but that's not sexy and that's not always really great. But because I'm an adult with obligations and I like nice things, I schedule time in my calendar to be able to offer that. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to offer people is this idea that you are more than your work. You are more than your job. So that's why when I'm public facing, I'm like, look at my cats, look at my travel, look at my, I don't know, look at my deadlifts that I'm doing in a parking lot because I now have to work out in a parking lot during COVID, I can't go into a gym, right? I'm trying to show other things here yes. besides that meeting that I was on at Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Yeah. What are you finding now? Because I assume you, you obviously started writing the book before January, or you could have been on our 
uh, writing plan. Did it take you a decade? Because it took us a decade. Um, but <laughs> it took me more than a minute, that's for sure. Okay, good. Maybe yeah. over the last 12 months, your narrative was this, but then because we all went home and we all got Zoom fatigue, did, did sort of your opinions on how people should bet on themselves change over the last year? Oh, gosh, that's such a lovely question. I think my perspective changed on how really risky it is to bet on yourself. Mm. You know, during an economy that was actually pretty good for a lot of people before COVID, I think it was easier to say bet on yourself. And then the rug was pulled out for universally almost the entire economy, right? And what I think will be interesting moving forward is that the economy is starting to open up and more jobs are emerging, right? Companies are starting to hire again. And are we going to have a system where everybody just swaps out crappy jobs, like mm. a great talent swap of 2021? Right. Or are we going to actually stand up for our values and say, I survived the pandemic and I learned something and I don't want to go back to that old way of living. That's where the rubber meets the road on betting on yourself. It's going to be very risky to tell your employer, I don't want to come back to work five days a week. That conversation is going to be nuanced, it's going to be a dance, and it's going to be different for everybody, depending on how well you perform, how much confidence you have, and what the job market externally looks like for your position. Mm -hmm. So I think my perspective completely changed. Also, we had a year of racial reckoning. And no matter how sensitive you think you are, I'm a middle class white woman. I learned a lot during this past year, and I think that really infused my thinking going forward as well as a career advisor. So mm -hmm. a lot has happened during the past 12 months that I think if I ever were to write a sequel, I would have plenty of material. <laughs> yeah, I it, think you're right. Well, is a sequel coming? I mean, do you have the itch no, now? The, the next book is actually a book that examines corporate drinking cultures. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, especially during the pandemic, people are having Zoom parties, Zoom happy hours, drinking is on the rise among corporate professionals. I'm super fascinated by this because, again, I write about what I'm interested in. My own drinking has gone up exponentially over the yeah. past year. And I'm sure. like, what is happening here? This is insane. So I want to take a look at that and also the history of drinking in corporate cultures. Oh, my gosh. I and, love it. And sneak like golf, golf in there. Like the, the, <laughs> there's the, the gotta be some golf. Well, just the there's impact some... of golf, seriously, in, in, in like the corporate culture of like, you know, when I worked for my aunt, she's like, I realized like if I wanted a shot at the C-suite, I needed to golf. You could you could fill in the blank with go for a drink after work there. I mean, it's the same yeah. type of totally. disease almost. Or go see strippers, right? Like that oh, used yeah. to be a thing back in the day and yeah. maybe still is. I'm going to explore that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, all of these behaviors but golf is so intricately linked especially in the afternoon to having a cocktail right uh -huh. so yep. there are all these things that we do for work that include alcohol and i wonder what does that do for someone who's in recovery or someone mm -hmm. whose religious beliefs prohibit mm -hmm. them from drinking how do they or someone who's pregnant get a sense of, right or you're pregnant how do you get a sense of belonging how do you feel included does it inhibit your career growth mm -hmm. if you don't participate i mean i have some ideas and some answers but I'll talk to some experts, tell some stories. And of course, a ton of messy drinking stories are going to be in this book. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't wait for this. Yay. Well, listen, guys, read the first one quick because I know you're going to want to read the second one <laughs> now that we know that it's about alcohol and drinking. Uh, Laura, you are awesome. Your book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Wi-Fi. Control. So I don't know why that uh -oh. is. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Jake, I'm sorry to make you edit. 
Oh, <laughs> no, that's okay. We no. like a we like a blip. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's uh, we will start. I'm just making a note to myself. Yeah, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll start we'll start that one over. Okay. Oh, I don't remember what I was saying. Yeah, <laughs> Laurie, you're the best. Where can people find the book? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody can go on the internet and buy the book from someone other than Jeff Bezos hey. by going to bettingonyoubook.com. So support your local bookstore. They're lovely. Go to the library. Librarians miss you. Go have a real life connection. Jeff Bezos doesn't need your money. Yeah. He doesn't. And Shout out to uh, South Park Books. Uh, or no, South Park, Park Road Park Books. Road books? So I'm sorry. Do Park that Road again. Books. <laughs> Park, I'm not editing twice. Park Road Books, uh, that's where they carry uh, holy crap. So, yes, I love that. Shout out to the uh, the old school bookstores. That's awesome. And then what yeah, about, we, like, are you still blogging or are you, are you, are you the, like, yeah, you're all over the place. Yeah, I'm still blogging from time to time. You know, blogging takes a lot of work at this point when you've got Twitter and you've got Instagram. So I blog from time to time. I do podcast. I've got a little podcast called Punk Rock HR to kind of take in that old school HR methodology that I had about being different and talk to people who are trying to fix work. So yeah, I just I'm doing told a little our, bit of everything and I trying just to told make our, money. I just, I'm going to cut you off again. Hold on. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I just told our HR person though, to listen to your podcast this past week. And she was so tickled because she has a finance background and I was, she's like, I don't really know about HR. And I was like, well, listen to that. I'm like, I said, it's called punk rock HR. And I'm going to, I have to get a screen grab of you holding your arm up. Cause I think that's like the perfect, like your, oh, your I've awesome got arm tattoos tass. on both and I know, I on my back it. and my chest. I'm like, I'm, you know, I have to say, I'm not a good fit in HR. And everybody who told me that was absolutely right. Like the very first HR director I had was like, honey, you got to clean up. You got to grow out your bangs and, you know, take your piercings out. And why don't you go to JCPenney? And so I did what she told me and I got some sensible slacks and some penny loafers because it was 1995, Ooh. right? Wow. You know, like wow. trying to fit in. Yeah. I, I mean, I was not a good fit, except that I like hearing people tell stories. I love terrible stories about work. They crack mm. me up and I want to be helpful. So in that way, I wish there would have been a place for me in HR. And I think that's what I'm still grappling with. Mm -hmm. And you may sense that in the yeah. book. So yeah, I'm glad you told your HR colleague to listen to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate that. I'm having Absolutely. a hard time picturing FDA, Lori. Like a highly regulated industry. Like how did that, e that's a whole other pocket. I know that, that's oh my God. I actually signed up at one point for a Talbot's credit card. Wow. <laughs> wow. Who's that girl? I don't. She's someone who had to pay Sally May off. Listen, I you know, hear that girl you. Is yep. Dead, though. Yep. Yeah. Dead. Uh, all right. Well, you're the best. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon, which is when everyone likes to podcast. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be here. And good luck to both of you with the book as well. Thanks, Thanks Lori. Mm, oh, yeah. Thanks for listening, y'all. For past episodes and more, visit jakeandpage.com or get all up in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast with your fine self sitting on your fine couch. Mm -hmm. Talk to you next time. Mm. Yeah. I said, mm. yeah.